Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're very glad you're here. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We are open to folks of all religious, ethnic, and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances. We have a reputation of having a little bit of a hard time with people who are right-wing in their politics. But it is our earnest desire to be welcoming to everyone. And we will get there at some point. I would like to extend a special welcome to those who are visiting with us today. If you have been coming here for a while and you feel that you would like to make this your spiritual home, everyone would be delighted if you were to become a member of this congregation, which involves signing our membership book after you take a class to find out all about everything you need to know. Unitarianism and Universalism have a broad historical stream, and in that stream is the heritage that we believe everyone has a spark of the divine inside them. It is as part of that heritage that I invite you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. People say, what is the sense of our small effort? They cannot see that we must lay one brick at a time, take one step at a time. A pebble cast into a pond causes ripples that spread in all directions. Each one of our thoughts, words, and deeds is like that. No one has a right to sit down and feel hopeless. There's too much work to do. If anyone were to ask you, what is that church about where you go? You can say, well, every Sunday we say, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. May it be so. On the front of your bulletin, you have a picture of a bunch of kids, little Jewish kids dressed up as King Ahasuerus and Queen Esther, celebrating the festival of Purim. Purim is a festival that has a great story that goes with it, and I'm going to talk to you about it this morning. King Ahasuerus, otherwise known as Xerxes, ruled over a kingdom that stretched from India to Ethiopia. It was enormous, and this king was extraordinarily powerful and rich, and I'm sure he was handsome, although it doesn't matter when you're that rich. (laughs) He gave a banquet for the people in the capital city of Susa, because every now and then you have to give a banquet to show how rich you are and to discourage people from overthrowing you because they see how rich you are and how many people love you and will drink with you. 
So he was merry with wine, it says, uh, after seven days of drinking. And he ordered Queen Vashti to come to the gathered uh, uh, dinner wearing just her crown so everyone could see how beautiful she was. Well, she refused. I don't know if she was actually singing that Loretta Lynn song about don't come home from drinking with loving on your mind. (laughs) Suffice it to say, she and Loretta were cousins in this feeling. And there was anger and there was concern because her refusal would be news. And the news would go out to the kingdom, and the women of the kingdom would understand that precedent had been set for saying no to your husband's request, and that would not do. A husband must be lord in his own home. People said to the king, you must um, punish her. And so he prohibited her from ever showing her face in front of him again. And... He said, she will no longer be queen. I'm going to get a new queen who will be more worthy of the position. And so he sent out newsletters to all the corners of the kingdom in the language of that particular corner of the kingdom and saying, bring me your virgins for I will choose a queen. We will have queen tryouts. Now, There was a man among the Jews of the kingdom, one of the ones who had been captured from Judah during a war, Mordecai, a wise man. And he was raising his orphaned cousin, and she was beautiful. And so he thought it would probably be good for her and for the Jewish people and for him to have a queen at court. So he sent her with the other virgins to court. And the head eunuch who was rounding up all the virgins, not re- really rounding them up, but just escorting them to the, to the uh, harem, um, he liked Esther. Her name was Esther Hadassah. And he liked her and her maids, gave them the uh, best place in the whole harem. And Mordecai would walk by uh, every day just to check on them and see how they were doing. So she was quite safe during the beautification period. Now, the beautification period in this time for a girl who was brought to the harem was one year. You had um, six months with uh, oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. And after this beautification period of a year, you were brought to the king for one night, and um, you enjoyed one another's company and whatever, and um, then you went back to the harem and didn't see the king again unless he called for you by name. That was your life. One girl, one king, one knight, that's it. So um, I'm sure the king was enjoying the new queen tryouts very much, and um, and 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 yet, you know, one girl, one night, then you never see her again. What kind of meaning does that have? And so, um, it, well, by the time it was Esther's turn to go be brought into the king, he, it was said, he delighted in her. And he said, you are my new queen. I love you. I'm going to put a crown on your head, and you are my queen now. And so that was good. 
But she did not tell him that her people were the Jews because Mordecai, the wise voice, had said to her, let's not, let's not talk about that yet. So one time, uh, as Mordecai, her cousin, was sitting at the gates, which is what the men did. You sit at the gates, you do business, you play chess, you drink tea, you gossip. And um, he heard about a plot to overthrow the king. Two of the king's head guys were plotting together to overthrow the king and take over his kingdom. And so Mordecai, having heard this, told Esther and said, tell the king. So she told the king, who had an investigation and uh, caught the two guys, and they were hanged. So his kingdom was saved. But now the position of head guys was uh, empty. And so he had to promote a guy. And he promoted a guy who was uh, our, our bad guy of this story. Now, it is traditional, when I say the name of this bad guy, for everybody to boo and hiss and make noise. So, um, his name, let's practice, was Haman. Thank you. So, the new king's right-hand man was Haman. And he was a guy who really liked the uh, perks of his office, one of which was, (laughs) it's going to be uncontrolled booing now. (laughs) There we go. Um, He loved people to bow to him. And so wherever Haman went, everybody would bow and scrape and bow and scrape, just prostrate themselves on the, on the street, except for one guy who stayed standing, Mordecai. He just stayed standing. Mm. Haman was furious and said, why do you not bow? And Mordecai said, I'm a Jew, and we bow to God. And that's it. That's our rule. Sorry. Haman went to the king and said, King, were you aware that you have these people called Jews in your kingdom who have rules of their own? This is not good for the kingdom to have people uh, who have different rules from everybody else. And I have a rule that everyone must bow to me as I walk through the town. And this one guy, Mordecai, does not bow. And he does not bow, he says, because Jews have different rules and they only bow to God. (laughs) And so I think... We need to get rid of these people. They're not good for you, O king. They're not doing you any favors. Plus, if we get rid of them all, we'll be able to have their stuff. And I'll make sure that into your treasury, O king, flows a good portion of all that stuff. What do you think? And the king said, that sounds good to me. Let's do it. And so Haman threw the dice, lots, called Purim, to see what day the slaughter would begin. Can you imagine? That's like straight out of The Sopranos, only worse. He throws the dice to see what day the slaughter's going to begin? Ugh. So, it turns out the slaughter was going to begin on the 13th day of the 12th month, and he sent letters out to all corners of the kingdom saying, 
on the 13th day of the 12th month, if you have Jewish neighbors, you're welcome to just go slaughter them and take all their stuff. That's what we're going to do on the 13th day of the 12th month. Mordecai heard about this, of course, and began mourning. He began wailing. He covered himself in sackcloth, which is like burlap, and ashes, just poured ashes on his head, and went wailing into the main square and into the gates of the town. And Esther heard about this behavior of her cousin and sent a eunuch to ask him, what's going on, and he told the eunuch who told Esther and said, your, uh, your cousin Mordecai says, please entreat the king and make this thing not happen. Well, just not anybody can entreat the king. If you're going to go see the king, you have to be invited. And if you're not an invited guest of the king, then security will grab you and not throw you out, kill you. So if you come uninvited to the king, your, your life is over. Unless the king has a scepter that was a lot um, you know, more jeweled looking than this. And, this, and the uh, king would, would extend his scepter to a person who was going to be an exception to the rule. And so if the king extended his scepter to you, then you could live if you had come uninvited to the king. He must have really hated interruptions, is all I can think. So he is working, and Esther knows she's got to go see the king. And at this point, he hasn't asked for her in 30 days. And she doesn't know, is he tired of me? Uh, is he just busy? I don't know what the situation is. And she's trembling because she knows she's taking her life in her hands to go see him. So she asks Mordecai to ask the Jews to all fast for three days. And she and her maids also fast for three days. And then she dresses herself in her best, most royal robes and her crown. And she says, if I perish, I perish. Now that attitude is the mother of all courage. If you're ready to perish, you can pretty much do anything you set yourself to do. If I perish, I perish, she said. And she went to stand before the king. He noticed her, and he extended his scepter. And he said, my queen, I will grant whatever request you have up to half my kingdom. He knew she wasn't there for light reason. She had taken her life in her hands to come. He knew she had something very serious to discuss with him. And she said, he said, I will grant it to you up to half my kingdom. And what she said was, my king, I would like for you to come to dinner in my rooms. And I would like for you to bring your head guy Haman. And at that time, I will tell you what my request is. And he said, that's fine. We will be there. And so that night, they went to dinner at her apartments and had a lovely time. And he said, my queen, what is your request? And she said, I just would like for you and Haman to come back tomorrow and have dinner with me again, and then I will tell you what my request is. Well, 
Haman went home full of himself, and he gathered his wife and his servants together, and he said, Guess who's having dinner with the queen and the king again? I am. I am very, very important to this kingdom, and my life is beautiful. There is only one thing that is ruining it for me, and that is that Mordecai. And his wife said, Dear, I know. I have a solution. Why don't you build a gallows 50 cubits high in the main square? And then after your dinner with the queen, you can hang Mordecai on it, and you'll feel much better. And he said, good idea, wife. And so the day before he was going to dinner for the second time with the king and queen, he had the, uh, the gallows built. Well, at that same time, after he'd given the order for the gallows and gone to bed, the king couldn't sleep that night. And in order to help him sleep, he had the chronicles brought to him, which was like the newspaper, of things that had happened in his kingdom in recent years. And so he could be lulled to sleep with um, stories of how wonderful he was. And um, in the chronicles that were read to him that night was the story of Mordecai foiling the plot against him. And he said to the guy who was reading him the Chronicles, he said, you know what, uh, that Mordecai guy, did we ever do anything for him, you know, to thank him or anything? No, sire, we forgot. We didn't do anything for him. And he said, oh, goodness, that must be remedied immediately. Who's at the court right now? And the servant said, well, Haman. Go get him for me and bring him here. And so the king said to Haman, If I were to honor someone, what would I do if I really wanted to honor him a lot? What would I do for him? Well, Haman thought that the king was talking about him because he was so vain. He thought that song was about him. And his mind was kind of bloated and weird with pride and uh, self-importance. And so he uh, said, okay, well, uh, if you really wanted to honor somebody, <laughs> I think you should put on them a robe that you have worn. Mm, yes. And I think you should uh, put them upon a horse that you have ridden and ride them through town, making everybody um, adore them and, um, and make them rich. And uh, the king said, that is a great idea. Do that for Mordecai. <laughs> what was Haman going to do? The next night, he was due to go to dinner. He had this big thing built in the main square already. Uh, and... The king was honoring Haman, uh, sorry, sorry, the king was honoring Mordecai that day. Mordecai's a good guy. So Haman is in, Haman is in kind of a, tw a twisted place that night, thank you, um, that night when he goes to dinner with the king and queen. He's nervous because uh, his wife has said, Haman, 
the king is honoring Mordecai uh, like all day. And if um, if Mordecai happens to mention that he's a Jew, you are going to fall. And so, with terrible twisted nerves, Haman goes to dinner. And at dinner, um, the queen, after supper, said to the king, my people are in trouble and I want you to save them. They are about to be sold, not, not into slavery, but into death. Your people? Yes, the Jews. I haven't told you that my people are the Jews, but that's who they are. My people, the Jews, like Mordecai, whom you honored today. Um, we're all Jews, and there's this uh, edict out that we should be slaughtered. Who has done this? The evil Haman. The king was so upset, he jumped up and went out in the garden to pace back and forth, leaving Haman in the room to beg for his life from Queen Esther. And he begged for his life, cried big old crocodile tears, prostrated himself on the floor. None of that worked. She was sitting on the couch, kind of um, maybe enjoying the moment. Maybe she was moved by compassion. I don't know. Um, But uh, Haman begged her so hard that he ended up really draped all over her on the couch. He, was, he threw himself on her, and the king just at that moment came back in and said, what are you doing? Are you ravishing my queen in my own palace? I just saw a giant gallows in the main square, and I know who's going on it. You are. And so Haman was hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Well, I do not want to encourage any of us to cheer someone's death. (laughs) However, as Mark Twain said, while I have never rejoiced in the death of anyone, there are some obituaries I have read with pleasure. Mordecai was promoted to be in charge of everything that Haman had been in charge of. And Esther got the king to write letters, um, not only saying disregard that order about slaughtering the Jews, but these letters said to the Jews, if anybody comes after you on the 13th day of the 12th month, you're welcome to slaughter them and take their stuff. And so, all the Jews in the kingdom, which as it turned out, was almost everybody. Because people were so scared, they were like, oh yes, I am Jewish, did I not tell you? I, oh yes, I, I keep quiet about it, you know, it's, but uh, through my um, uncle and my mother, I, yes. Um. So the end of the story is that the Jews took bloody revenge on all their enemies, and while we may be shocked in our own culture of um, tolerance and celebration of differences, which is how we go about things, that there is this bloodthirsty story. I just have to say to you, let's leave it aside. It's the Bible. There's a lot of blood in the Bible. And um, tolerance was not one of the highest values in most of the stories there. So um, leaving all that aside, I want to just go to what what is in this story for us? What how would it preach for us to to look at this story? And 
And I want to tell you that it is a story about courage. And I want to quote, there's a movie that some of y'all have seen called We Bought a Zoo. And in the movie, the guy says, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just 20 seconds of absolutely embarrassing bravery. And I tell you, something great will come out of it. So sometimes we are in that situation that's described in the story where we have to stand up for people who are going to be wiped out. And as I'm thinking about who is going to be wiped out, in Austin, I think we're in Austin. Um, Nobody's going to be wiped out. Uh, Everybody, you know, who do we have to stand up for here? (laughs) There's nobody really under attack these days, except for, you know, immigrants. And... um, and gay teens who are thrown out of their parents' house because of their parents' religion and are three times more likely to kill themselves than non-gay teens. And, and women, but only those who use birth control. And they aren't really in danger of being wiped out, just humiliated. So sometimes we're called on to stand up for those who are under attack and make the powers that be see the injustice that is about to happen or that is happening. And sometimes a story, a faith story, is telling an outer truth like that, and it's also telling an inner truth. So I invite us to look at our lives and to see if we're in an Esther kind of situation in any place in our lives. You may be or you may not be, but is there an element in your life that wants to wipe out your spiritual heritage, your spiritual connection to the divine, is there an element in your life that is so prideful and so self-important that it demands attention, that it demands to be bowed down to instead of what is really of the highest value? If there is such an element in your life, um, for many of us, it is work that demands our focus and and our obeisance rather than what is of highest value. For some of us, it's work. And for some of it is family expectations. Or for some of us, it is financial security. Or for some of us, it's the desire to be seen as the smartest kid in the room, that we're always angling for that instead of what's of highest value. And for some of us, it is a demanding addiction or a demanding ambition And is there an element in us that refuses to bow down? Is there a wisdom voice, a Mordecai in us that refuses to bow to that demanding element, that that self-absorbed element? Or is there a beautiful queen in us who who has a soul force to to break into our attention once in a while and risk being annihilated just so that we can go back to business as usual Does she risk everything so that we might just listen to that voice inside us? And and I just want to invite you to think about, as spiritual people or people who are leading spirited lives, which I see as equivalent, we all have inside us a a powerful, sometimes thoughtless uh, king who is in charge of everything. And we have inside us a wise Mordecai voice. And we have inside us a soulful and brave uh, queen. And we have inside us a, 
the treacherous bad guy. And our job over and over and over again in our lives is to gather our courage, listen to the voice of wisdom, recognize the bad guy and what the bad guy is trying to do, and stop him and put the wisdom back in charge. And what I pray for us all is that we would have the wisdom to know when that's happening and that we would have the courage to do what needs to be done. Good luck and blessings to all of us. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. After the upcoming moment of music and meditation, please go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.